0: Welcome to ABM Mythbusting. This is a podcast series, and what we do is we look at account-based motions that we see as common practice out in the marketplace, but aren't always necessarily best practice. My name is Celeste Lunsford, and I have the pleasure of being Chief Research and Strategy Officer at Emissary. So Emissary is a human intelligence network, and what that means is we consist of thousands of technology buyers who had executive level positions in the Fortune 500. And what we do is we connect those executives to sales leaders and marketing leaders to share their insights and provide some coaching that helps you get into your target accounts, close deals bigger and faster, and expand some relationships. So I'm thrilled to have one of those emissaries with me today, Bernard Broward. He is former vice president of IT, North American Consumer Group, and global R&D at J&J. Welcome, Bernard.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Celeste.
0: So now we're going to tackle a myth together. And the the, sort of the gist of that myth from an ABM perspective is, you know, when in doubt, lean in on product messaging to spark some interest. And on the surface, I mean, I think everybody knows that you don't don't feature dump anymore. But one of the things I think that's challenging for marketers is the the amount of solutions in the marketplace is just overrun and crowded, right? And from a a buyer's perspective, everything tends to look alike. And so as a result, there's a a little bit of a belief that you, you have to make sure people know what you do. So if I'm messaging, I'm trying to get the attention of a technology buyer, I never wanna get that meeting without them understanding what I do. And if I'm trying to sell them something, they have to understand what it is that I'm buying. As a result, it sort of moved towards a little bit of maybe the pendulum swinging back towards product messaging. But at the same time, the same marketers and sellers and those of us in positions like myself will say, but diminishing returns, right? The results aren't as great. So I'd love your perspective from a buyer point of view. You've spent millions, maybe billions of dollars on technology, and I'm sure you've seen just as many, millions, perhaps billions of, of prospecting messages and, and calls. And I'm curious, what about that product messaging in those conversations maybe works or where it missed the mark from a buyer point of view?
1: Thanks, Celeste. So there's a few things that I've seen in my experience that that don't work. So maybe start with that. Okay. You know, one is that sometimes it's just the message is too detailed. I've seen salespeople going into too much detail early on. And for me, I would be less interested in the deep technical aspects of their product offerings, but look at it more from a capability point of view. So Mm -hmm. with, with your product, what can I do that I can't do now? And how does that create value for my organization? And that's that's also linked to the fact that it's it's got to be connected to the business needs we have. Mm-hmm. So for me as a, as a CEO, it was most important to make sure that the IT group would deliver business value. And the way we would typically do that is, we would have a one-page for our overall business to say what are the the priorities for the year, so sort the of big programs, the, the the things we wanted to to hit in mm-hmm. areas like consumer, you know, brands, supply chain, quality, financials, right? All of those, and we would have quite specific metrics for those, and that would then be translated into similar or one-page for my IT team to say how we're we going to do that. So mm-hmm. the main programs we have, how we we support that. And what I would like to do with technology vendors is actually almost extend that to them to say, so how you're going to help me and my team to make this work. So it really needs to be around sort of business value and sort of tangible and very visible for our business partners as well. So just having a good product is not enough. And then another part for me is also sometimes it wasn't appropriate for executive level, because as, a, as an IT leader, you just don't have the time or the bandwidth to cover technology solutions in all functional areas. So so but you tend to focus on the things that are relevant at that point in time. So you know, at this moment, you talk about obviously COVID, like remote working, sure. collaboration. It would be around you know security and the ransomware uh, stories we read. So it's got to be topical, you know, and, and from that perspective as well.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you know. As a as a marketer or a seller, one of the things that everybody is moving to is this idea of I'm, a, I'm moving away from selling to a contact to selling to an account. And I, I know up front, I need to sell to a whole bunch of different decision makers. And, you know, I want to start high, right? Because people like yourself, they have the budget. But then it's that extra piece of, well now how do I tailor my message to each one of those decision makers and it's going to look very different for someone from your level to other people that I might be marketing to. And that kind of personalization that can be that can take time and be challenging.
1: I would agree. Yeah.
0: You know, one of the things that we have the the ability to do is is we we do research with our emissaries in our network, like yourself. And so we recently did a study and with a couple hundred folks, executive titles, big IT buyers, and we asked them to dissect the last time they'd spent money on technology. So about you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars U. S. or more. So not necessarily outrageously large, but large enough that it would catch someone's attention. And to think back and you know basically do some forensics. So who won and who came in? second. We asked a whole bunch of questions about why that was and the difference in solution. But one of the striking findings from that is that only one in five, so it's about 22% said, you know, the solution that came in number one, the one I picked, it really was the best and it it fit my needs perfectly. And it was kind of a slam dunk, right? But the implication is the other 78% That wasn't the case. So basically, the number one choice, the number two choice, the number three choice, they all sort of ended up being alike and looking the same and from a product perspective. So the reason that they chose one over the others really wasn't a product oriented answer. From your perspective, what were some of those things that if you had a bunch of solutions and they basically all looked the same, what tipped the scale for you?
1: Yeah, great question. So there's a few points, Celeste. The You know, one thing is for me is product scalability. And that's, you know, in some cases, it would be okay to have a niche product, right? Because you only apply it in one market or for one sort of, you know, very specific set of users. But yeah. for the vast majority, you really want to have solutions that you can roll out globally. So you want to know that people around the world know the product and it can be supported, you know, both from a software perspective, but also, you know, specialists available to help implement in various places. So that scalability is really important. Mm-hmm. And that's not just with the products provider, but also with you know, the big five and the big six, right? The consulting companies that can help actually with the implementation. You know, we would also look at future developments. So is there a product roadmap that sort of is sufficiently strategic in terms of future capabilities? Because you want to go into that and you talked about sort of selling to an account, right? You don't want it yeah. to be just... A single, you know, one-time buy, you want to have something for the future. So obviously, you know, the the, the future uh, development and sort of the roadmap are, are critical there. And then linked to that, we would also look at financial stability of the company you're dealing with. So, you know, will they be around in five years and 10 years from now? So are you sure that there will be support available? Obviously less critical if there's a niche product, but you know, for those larger programs, you want to be be sure that's there. Mm-hmm. And then agility. I think we'll talk about that later as well. But uh, when we talk about the implementation implementation approach, agility is important when you talk about product development. Specifically, if you find gaps between what you need and what the product offers, you know, the question is, can it quickly be addressed or do you need to wait for, you know, three more releases, right, before it's answered. And then last but not least, we've moved away from uh, a product to much more of a platform approach. And that's critical. You know, if you stick with a product approach, what we tended to have is you've got just a plethora of technology solutions. And, as an IT department, your time, your money, you know, goes into, frankly, keeping that up to date. And so you're, you're spending your days and your lives with, you know, upgrades and sort of integration efforts and testing. You want to make sure that that becomes easier so you can spend more of your time and energy business value, right? And sort of new capabilities that you can create. So with a platform approach that becomes a lot easier and also you can push some of the responsibility back on your technology providers and practically what that would mean is in our case if you know we have something in the supply chain space then you want, to, you want it to be seamlessly integrated with you know, SAP, right. you know, our transaction engine. Commercial space, it would be around, you know, Salesforce or something else, right? And right. and then on top of that is also this whole uh, movement to cloud, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, platform as a service is very different than sort of, you know, buying one of product solutions. So, the, yeah, the world's moved on from that perspective.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. As I, I listen to you run down that list, what strikes me is they aren't really product features so much as they are like provider features or you know how these these vendors and these partners that work with you their approach to product development and how that approach matches up or not with your preferences for the things that your organization finds important kind of going back to your your one pagers
1: correct yeah yeah makes sense
0: you know, another thing that we asked them in this same study, kind of along those lines, when you were talking about, hey, you've got to be a platform, you've got to, you know, integrate in your world um, with the things that are already sort of the backbones to my systems. One of the things in these studies is we we break down the buying process. So, you know, what are the different parts of the buying process? How long does it take? Who's involved? All that good stuff. Um, and one of the ahas in that particular research is we asked people, like, what's the hardest part about buying, right? Because everybody thinks selling is hard, but buying's just as hard. And where do you spend your time and all that good stuff? And what struck us was not so much what was difficult or time consuming, but what wasn't. And the thing that everybody said was easiest was finding vendors, right? So in that study, only 5% of the buyers said, I spent a lot of time and it was hard and time consuming for me to identify the solutions out and invite them to propose to me, all that kind of stuff. 95% of them said, yeah, no, that takes no time. I already know who's in the marketplace. I know who's out there. I already have some incumbent providers, things like that. So you know, the implication for those of us in marketing and sales is if you're not on that buyer's radar, really firmly intent long before this buying process starts. Like you don't even know these opportunities exist. So I'm curious, you know, prior to the point where you have like a specific need and you're looking for a solution, how does a seller or marketer get on your radar and make an impression with you such that when you get to the point where you're like, oh, I do have a need. Uh, they're in my short list, right?
1: They're who I think of. Yeah, no, great question. I think so. In, in my experience, one of the things we would do early on is, you know, check with industry watchers, right? Sort of, you know, garden or forester, right? Garden with his magic quadrants, yep. To so just to just get a sense for how do they operate in the in the marketplace? Are they sort of No the challenges there? right? Are they sort of moving moving along? Uh, fast enough. It's also, you know, it wouldn't just be my team of IT people. We also would have, you know, business partners. Um, We would have what we call BPO's, business process owners, right, that tackle a certain specific functional area. And they would quite often come to say hey we met with these people at a conference or you know uh, they spoke about it with a competitor or in in sort of in some sort of industry forum that would be a good thing a good way of of um, you know, getting forward and i think to me the whole thing is around sort of industry expertise right so mm-hmm. if somebody came to me to say well we've we've done this for another um cpg company these are the results it would raise a lot of uh, interest at my end. Um, But but, um, quite often people would come to me and say, well, we've got this in the insurance industry or in financials or in automotive. And that just doesn't is not relevant for us. So that's a big differentiator.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And, And it's interesting because that for you in the marketing goes back to that personalization, really have to know your prospects. I had a similar conversation to the one that we're having with someone in a global bank. And that person said just the opposite. He said, you know, you, you come and you tell me about financial services. I know more about that than you'll ever know. And I don't want to hear about your case studies about other banks. I want to know that you worked with Apple or Google or something. So it's how do I have the fluency in this industry and then know what what how you know what is the peer group and what is this you know organization you know value out in the marketplace. So you kind of have to be both. You have to be an industry expert and uh, like a, a market expert too. It's a pretty big
1: deal. Yes. Yeah. No. it's right. And I think the so in my experience, the companies that that do this really well, and you need a certain skill for that. But you know, talk about sort of. Um, the, the big gorilla in the room, right? SAP, for instance, they they would have their industry verticals, and they would have, you know, for consumer goods, uh, consumer product advisory accounts, and would bring in myself and, and sort of you know people in similar roles for other cpg companies right. which was extremely valuable because you learn from their experience but also as a group you can help with the future development of the products so you know mm-hmm. common pain points right to come come across there on a smaller scale i did work with companies like aquia which is in the digital content management space similar type of thing you bring people together from mm-hmm. different industries and you learn a lot that way so that's Obviously, you need a certain skill for that, but you almost st- stand back from the actual s- selling process there. But in terms of sort of you know relationship building and account management, I think that's very powerful.
0: Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. We talk about, you know, what you're selling in messaging is not so much product, it's it's here's what I would be like as a partner. And so being able to connect you to peers, that brings value in and of itself. It's not really about my product or how all that fits in. It's it's again sort of it's the
1: partnership features. Yes. And if people sort of during implementation can, you know, point you in a certain direction that they've seen best practices in your industry with our companies, obviously, that's very valuable. And again, that's sort of, you know, quite far away sometimes from the actual product offering that's on the table.
0: Yeah, that's tough, though. It's tough, especially if, you know, from a sales perspective, I got a quota. (laughs) And so I have I have a boss who's telling me I have to accomplish something every quarter. But then I know for something like this to pay off and to establish a relationship with a big company, that's a long-term situation. That's not necessarily something that shows numbers every quarter.
1: No, and I'm really talking about account management for sort of, you know, where you you can actually, if you do this well, right, you can sell into the accounts, you know, on on quite a big scale for a longer period of time. Yeah.
0: Did you find from your perspective that once you had a vendor in place like that, that you tended to, to stay with them for a long period of time? Or were you always sort of, you know, refreshing your vendor stack?
1: No, we would actually, uh, and it may be more sort of myself and sort of my personality, but I would try to stick with the ones we were dealing with. Because you knew them, there was trust, you know, they, they knew us, you knew that you've you've been through sort of, you know, harder times and better times. And so typically I would stick with them unless it was very clear that they couldn't operate in a certain new space or so. But that's where I think the relationship does pay off. Right.
0: Well, one last question on the product front, and, and this is a little bit further down the, the marketing and sales funnel. So once you get to a point in a buying process, most organizations are going to, they're going to have to get deeply into product right? So There's a lot of messaging up front positioning the partnership and the value, but at some point, you're probably going to do a, a proof of concept or a pilot and you want to dig get into the leads of the product. So I'm curious, what do you look for when you ran those proof of concepts or pilots or particular features or th- things that you wanted to see demonstrated?
1: Yeah, so we moved uh, a lot to a very agile approach right indeed to um you know proof of concept or you, know, you try to get a minimum viable product and mvp out and the idea was uh you know stepping away from those large rfp processes and just say guys you know work with uh, with a few people from my team tell you what sort of what the business promise we try to achieve and just get a prototype ready for us and and frankly don't spend more than a few weeks on that and then we'll have a look at it see see what it offers you know, make some changes right very much in this agile you know you've got a product backlog right and you sort of start to operate in that way and hopefully you know in a if if it sort of provides value early on it it could even be self-funding that you're you're getting business benefits and you you sort of plow it back into further development of that uh, the product so very much an, an agile approach and that's also it would be around the product but also the team you're working with right sort of you know Compatibility of the, the people from the vendor organization with, with our people, how do they react, right? Is that this, this added value of new ideas coming up? So you, you test not just the product, but also the, the people and the provider there. And a lot of what we would do is also based on user centered design or human centered design, right? So where you ideally what you'd like to do is make things so simple that it's intuitive and it's almost like your, you know, your iPhone, right? An app that you're using there. That helps with user adoption la- later on. So that's also you know, making sure that you're working with a partner that can actually work in that way. We would talk, sometimes get new companies in that specifically focus on that element. But you know, again, it's something that makes it sort of agile and very easy to digest. That's
0: interesting. So again, you're you're looking at product, but at someone at your level, you're looking at product from a usability perspective, the people, the relationship, the flexibility. Now I'm assuming there were people deeper on your team who would be digging into more of the technical aspects of those solutions, but those would be probably at lower levels.
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and the whole thing is also with sort of larger companies, right? You will have, there will be some sort of standards, right, for different types of software. So you can't have, you know, anything you would like, right? You're working with your colleagues from other parts of the business. You're working with people from central sort of architecture teams to make sure that you basically maximize the value of your investments with those technology providers. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
0: So, I guess as I, I listen to us chat, it's, it's yes, product is important. I mean, if you don't have a product that does what it's supposed to, that's not going to be successful. But in the marketplace today, that kind of messaging isn't isn't much of a, a magic bullet, right? And so especially when we're dealing with someone at your level, it's a little bit more business focused than technology focused. As I reflect on some of the things you've shared, what you said is, you know, the product messaging you've received in the past is really just too detailed for someone at your level. And you're more interested in, you know, your technology charter for the year and how it's going to marry up to business alignment. We had talked about what made the difference in a purchase? You mentioned things like financial stability, right? Or the the roadmap of the product ahead. And what was the PD approach? And were they moving to sort of a platform model? And then getting on your radar prior to the point of where you're ready to issue RFP or anything at is going to require a little bit more of a value-oriented approach. And you gave us some examples of you know, being invited to roundtables to discuss issues with other peers in, in the community being present you know, going through research and Gartner notes, things like that. And then our last topic, we talked a little bit about even the pilots and proofs of concept. There's certainly people deeper in your organization who are going to be tearing apart that, that technology. But what you're looking for is, again, those partnership elements, the people, the agility, how quickly can they move? Can they provide value in just two weeks? And I think those are key things because leaning in on product messaging with someone at your budget holder level isn't probably going to create a lot of impact. So, Bern, thank you so much for giving that buyer point of view. I think it's always really helpful to hear from someone who's been on the receiving end of all of those emails, been invited to and proposed to a million times. For those of you guys listening, don't forget to check out the other podcasts in this series. There are some other ABM myths that we want to look out from buyer point of view. And, of course, research to us at emissary.io if you'd like to talk to Bernard or leverage another emissary in our network when it comes to account back strategies.